podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, True for the podcast on Thursday. Today is the 6th of July. Hope you're all well. Uh, we're going to continue walking down memory lane today, but we do have a couple of little new additions, uh, thanks to one of the questions that came in on the Liverpool Discord. We're going to do the questions first, then we'll go walking down memory lane. So let's get into them. Uh, Captain Groove, catching up on the shows, and I had thought about your talk about Sheffield United, specifically Ollie McBurney. Uh, Ollie McBurney, excuse me. He clearly doesn't have the ability to be an effective striker at the Premier League level, but he does a lot of other things. He presses hard, he works his ass off, and he links up play. 
Do you think he could make a move to midfield a la Jolington? Also, there are there any other players that you think could or should have made a move into a wildly different position? My concern with McBurney in midfield is he's not a very athletic player. Like, he's not a dynamic player. Jolington is a great athlete. Ollie McBurney is not. I think with McBurney... I do often wonder, like, could you play him left side of a front three if you had a great cross or on the right side or vice versa where he could press from there, he could harry fullbacks, play in the channels, chase long balls, but also be a threat for a a diagonal ball, both to head on goal and to head down towards a central striker. I, I just don't know that he's a Premier League player is the thing. Like I just, I just don't think technically he's got the level. Jolington's quite good on the ball as well, which I don't think Ollie McBurney is. Um, as for players who could change position, like a drastic change, I've always thought Curtis Jones could move into playing as a false nine. Um, I think he's got a lot of the skill set. I think he's got the physical makeup as well. Um, let's see at City. I mean, it's not a drastic change, but Rodri could play centre-back quite easily. We've seen John Stones move into midfield. Um, not really anybody there at Arsenal. I mean, Bakayo Saka could be the best left-back in the world if he wanted to be. Do you know? When you look at the what the modern fullback is and look at who the best young left-backs in the world are, the likes of Alfonso Davies, the likes of Balde at Barca, Nuno Mendes at PSG, I think Saka is better than all of them as a player. I also think he's very diligent in his defensive work. And when he first broke into the team, he did play quite a bit of left wing-back. I think he could play left-back and be great there. Uh, I think Reese James could be a dynamic box-to-box midfielder. I do worry about his injuries, though. Like he's very I, heavy set is the right is the wrong term, but do you know what I mean? Like he's very heavily muscled, and I do think that contributes significantly to the injuries that he has. Now, a lot of that's genetics because his sister's got a similar build to him. Like they're very powerful. But they both have similar injury problems. They're both ridiculously talented. Um, I don't know if it's a drastic one, but I've said before I'd like to see Dwight McNeil played as a as a left sided eight. I think it could work. If you do you know with Ollie McBurney, if you'd gotten Ollie McBurney at like nineteen twenty you probably would have turned him into a centre-back. And, like, the type who could play centre-back and then move up front. Gary Doherty used to do this. Some weeks he'd play up front. Some weeks he'd play at centre-back. Dion Dion Dublin was the opposite. He was a forward who played centre-back a decent amount late in his career when needed. I remember Chris Sutton playing centre-back in multiple games for Norwich as well. Um... It's not really a thing anymore, but it kind of was back in the in the early nineties, mid mid nineties even. Um, that's probably about it. 
Uh, Chris Colby. Todd Bowley watches a special on the Invincibles while he's on a flight and decides he wants to rebuild that team for the 23-24 season. PIF have agreed to pay, pay, pay premiums for unneeded players and he's willing to pay in excess. So any players available, who would fit the eleven stylistically? Right, this is fun. I like this. Right, so uh, Jens Lehmann was the goalkeeper. You don't, you wouldn't really want a Jens Lehmann type, but David De Gea is probably the closest thing to Jens Lehmann uh, in the modern game. So we'll go with him. Great shot stopper, not great with his feet. A little bit sketchy on crosses. We'll go with him. Uh, right back was Loren, who was primarily a midfielder, who was good on the ball, didn't attack all the time, but was effective when he attacked and liked to attack into more central areas. So I actually think Reese James is a good fit there. I just rein his game in a little bit. Um, left back was Ashley Cole. Now, at this point, Ashley was still developing as a defend- defensive player, but he was brilliant 1v1. He was lightning quick. He was great on the overlap. He knew how to be effective combining with Perez and Henri down that side. Alfonso Davies, I suppose, he's not as good defensively, but he has that pace and that explosive burst. And when Alfonso Davies is locked in, he is actually a good defensive player. It's just concentration tends to be an issue. Colo Toure, I think they've got Wes Fafana, who fits that role quite well. Good athlete, good man marker, prone to the odd error. We'll go with him. Uh, Saul Campbell was the other centre-back. Now, Saul was incredible. And I think Levi... Levi Colwell probably fits that mould. Good on the ball, dominant in the air, reads the game really well. I think they're fine with that. So you're only really adding Alfonso Davies in defence. Badia Shile would also be a decent fit, though he's a little bit more erratic. Saul was very measured, which is what Colwell is. Um, Freddie Lumberg. Goal-scoring midfielder, decent dribbler. Very underrated. I want to say someone like Emile Smith-Rowe, but Emile Smith-Rowe is more talented than Freddie was. Like a Conor Gallagher, but with better dribbling. Like that same sort of... Do you know, Mason Mount probably would have been the guy. We'll just bring back Mason Mount. We'll bring back Mason Mount. Great off the ball. For the Vieira role, that box-to-box powerhouse, Amadou Onana is the closest thing in the modern game. Uh, In the Gilberto Silva role, I think Moises Caicedo is the perfect one. Bobby Perez as a primary playmaker on the left. I mean, they've got Mudrik, but he's not that type. You're looking for, do you know, 
you might actually be looking at Dominic Zabozlai. I'll I'll say Zabozlai. Um, for Henri, there's only one option. It's Mbappe. Now, the Burkamp role is the hardest because this type of player doesn't really exist anymore. That kind of number 10 who can play as a striker. There's obviously players that play that way, but for what he did and how how technically gifted he was, his touch, his first-time passing, his vision, the weight of pass, his ability to score outrageous goals. There isn't a Dennis Burkamp out there. So I'd probably just use Christopher Nkunku in that role as that nine and a half. I think that would be an incredibly formidable team. Mount and Zabozlai giving you that ability to play a box midfield, which Arsenal would often do. Vieira bursting forward. So you've got Onana doing that. You've got Caicedo in the Gilberto Silva role, just sitting in front of the the centre-backs, breaking up play, taking the ball off people, giving it to others, always measured, always intelligent. I think that would be quite a formidable midfield. I love the idea of Nkunku and and Mbappe as a two. And that defence would be would be really strong as well. So yeah. Bring back Mount Zabozlai, Onana and Caicedo would be your big signings there in midfield. Alfonso Davies is your signing at left back. You've got Nkunku, you need Mbappe. So, you know, only another six or seven hundred million Todd and, and you could have that team. But of course, you'd have no real use for Enzo Fernandez, which would be a bit of a shame. Um I mean they spend so much money. Mudrick Mudrick could be like a, a an option off the way off the bench. They they don't really seem to know how to use him as yet. I'll be curious to see what Poch does. Um but yeah, it would be it would be tough enough to to replicate. I love that Arsenal team. Uh, Ragav, I've butchered your name, buddy. And I'm sorry. Uh, how far do you think Diaz is from this list, if at all? Do you think he gets on it? Right, this is ESPN's top ten wingers. Now, the best wingers in the world right now are Mo Salah and Vinicius Junior. Neither of them are on this list because they put them on some weird forwards list. This has Saka, Kavicha, Jack Grealish, ridiculously high. Usman Dembele, too high. Talented without question. Obscenely talented. But, I mean, the most inconsistent player in the world. Um, Martinelli, too high. Riyad Mahrez shouldn't be on this list. Kingsley Coleman, fine. Rodrigo, he doesn't do it often enough to be on this list. Phil Foden, and Musa Diaby. Um, Luis Diaz should be on that list. And Mo Salah and Vinicius should be on that list. I think Diaz is on that list. I would take Diaz over Musa Diaby. I would take Diaz over Rodrigo. I would take Diaz over Riyad Mahrez. I would take Diaz personally over both Grealish and Martinelli. So he would be on that list for me. He wouldn't be in my top five, I don't think. I think I'd have because I because I would have lads that actually play as wingers, so I would have Salah one, Vinicius two. I think I'd go Kavicha three, Saka four, 
Number five, I'd be inclined. I'd be inclined to put Phil Foden there. He doesn't get in the city team all the time, so it's tough. But yeah, I think he's on the list for certain. Um, Isaac Gilding, uh, really enjoying these trips of seasons past. If you had to pick one single Premier League season as the best, considering everything, drama, quality, characters, surprise, which would you choose? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Oh, I would say I think I'd go for one of the seasons where it was United and Arsenal going toe-to-toe. Like that seven years I just think was so special. So I might go like 97, 98 was a was a great year 98-99 where united won the title by a point beat arsenal in the fa cup semi final arsenal could easily have won a double and instead united won a treble and it's horrible to say it as a liverpool fan to pick a season in which united won a treble but it was a great great season uh 99-2000 was fairly crap 2000-2001, Arsenal were rebuilding at this point. 0102. 2 was a pretty strong season. Now, United dropped off that year. Liverpool finished second, but it was a pretty strong season overall. Uh, 0-2-0-3 was a really good season. You had that... You had a good Chelsea team. Liverpool were decent. Newcastle were fun. 03-04, Arsenal were just invincible, obviously. Uh, it was a good season. 04-05 was really interesting. Now, Chelsea ran away with the league. They won it by 12 points, but... That was the year we added Mourinho to the Premier League mix. And Arsenal and United were still really, really good. But Chelsea built this machine that scored 72 goals, conceded 15, and their manager kept telling everybody that they were so much better than everybody else. And when he was asked about other teams, because there was some criticism of the playing style, he was very quick to point out the gap in the league. I'd be tempted to go 0405 because you also had a Liverpool team that won the European Cup with Rafa Benitez. You had the best Everton team we've seen in the Premier League era. You had a fun Middlesbrough and a really fun Bolton. You know what? That's my season. 0405. That's my season. That was a really fun season. So we'll get to that one probably the week after next if if we go year by year. Uh, I think that's a fun one. Uh, AMK2889, would Jesus Ferreira, US striker, fit the mould for Brighton or Brentford? I think he would be a very good pickup for Brentford because Brighton have 
Evan Ferguson and CISO, and they've brought in Joe Pedro. So they don't really need another forward player like him. But I think he would do bits in that Brentford team playing with Ivan Tony. I really like him. I really like Jesus Ferreira. I'm looking forward to seeing him come to Europe at some point. I'm surprised he hasn't already. I thought with the season he had last year, he'd get a move. But I think Nicola Pe- uh, Nicholas Pepe, no, not Nicholas Pepe, Ricardo Pepe coming across and not doing as well as expected put people off maybe gambling on strikers from MLS. Um, also a bit random. I've noticed a lot of players of today's players don't wear long sleeve shirts anymore. Most team websites don't give the option to buy the long sleeve anymore. I any idea why? Absolutely none. Genuinely none. Um, I genuinely don't know. Is the honest answer. I genuinely don't know. Uh, Brian Javi, what's going on with Andre Lunan? So much hype around him when he was younger and hasn't been able to find his footing at Real. Would you consider him if Kelleher was to leave? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely would. I think he's a, a hugely talented goalkeeper. I think he just needs a move because he's he's not going to get in the Real team considering they've got Thibaut Courtois. I thought he was pretty good a couple of years ago, on like really good to be fair, a couple of years ago on loan at Oviedo. And he's just been sat on the bench for Real now for the last couple of seasons, which isn't benefiting him at all. And I think he's he's missing his opportunity as well because he's lost his place in the national team. And Anatoly Trubin is, I think, the Ukrainian goalkeeper of the future. He is spectacularly good. And it's a real shame for Lunin. He needs to get moved this summer or he might just find himself being a career backup, which is such a waste of his talent. Now, he is only 24, so he has plenty of time left. But if I was him, I know you're at Real Madrid, but buddy, get on to your agent and tell him to get you out of there. There are clubs that could absolutely use you, especially Premier League clubs, who'd pay you good money. Um, Bournemouth, I think, could bring him in, maybe give him a year where he's behind Neto and then takes over. He's got Zabarni there, so he'll have someone he knows. Good combination there between the Ukrainians. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be staying much longer. Super talented. Uh are you Tom Tom James asks, are you still planning to, on going low post this summer, speaking to people from different Premier League clubs ahead of the season? Yes. I do plan to do that in the month of August in the lead up to the season. The season might even be underway by the time we finish that but yeah I do still plan to do that and finally AMK 2889 uh, loving the nostalgia trip who made the jerseys was interesting never knew Brooks made kits would be cool to mention primary boots worn from time to time and who are some of the big purchases for that given year so that's something we're going to add in as of today is looking at transfers for the clubs that season. Um, in terms of bootmakers, so you obviously would have had Adidas, you would have had Nike, you would have had Puma. The Puma King was huge. The Predator obviously came out in the 90s, but not quite just yet. I think it would have come out around this point that we're at now, around 95, 96 would have been about the time for 
the predator. Now today we're 94, 95. I'm just trying to think. 95, 96 was the first season I really remember it because that was the season kind of Beckham got more and more game time. And he's the first player I really remember wearing Predator. When did the Predator come out? I suppose I could just Google it. Um, Adidas Predator. But the Puma King was massive around this time. So it was introduced in 1994. The first Predator was 1994. So it actually is this season that we're going to do today. Um... What else was big? Asics, Mizuno, Patrick. Um Umbro Mitra. Yeah, there was probably a lot more variance in the boots been made at the time than there is now. Now it's basically Nike, Adidas, the odd Puma. Do you know what was massive in the in this at this time it was Reebok. Reebok was massive for football boots, and their boots were really cool. So Reebok were probably as cool as Nike back then. Obviously, that's not the case anymore, but back then they would have been fairly similar. But when the Predator came out, that that completely changed the game. Puma King were Puma King were deadly. Like I, I love Puma King boots, and they were comfortable as well. Um, Lotto, that was another one. Lotto used to make boots, and a good a good number of players, especially Italian players. Maybe not as many in England, but certainly some in England would have worn them. But a lot of Italian players used to wear Lotto boots, um, which were which were a nice boot in themselves. Right, last question then comes from Mr. Guy Drinkle. Uh, United are trying to stabilise into the top four next season, but are seemingly trying to do it with a lesser spend whilst in the seat in the Champions League, which is what the Glazers normally do. Who are some under-the-radar Ginny Wijnaldum-esque signings they could make? Say there's 70 million less after the Mount deal, and you can say Dean Henderson if you want to save money can sell players too. Okay, this is fun. Let's dig into United for a sec. So let's go through the squad. Um, Victor Lindelof, I want to keep. Eric Bailly, I would sell. I'd want to sell Harry Maguire. I just don't know who'd take him off our hands, considering he's on huge money, isn't very good. But I'm going to put him on my sales list anyway. Um, Lissandra Martinez will keep. Mason Mount, we will obviously keep. Bruno, we keep. Martial, will keep. Rashford, we keep. Greenwood, we're just going to pretend doesn't exist. Uh, Malashi, we keep. Ericsson, we keep. Ahmad Diallo, we keep. I'm going to keep Fred. I'm going to keep Casemiro. I'll keep Varane, I'll keep Delow, I'll keep Anthony. Tom Heaton can stay as third-choice keeper. I'd be tempted to try and sell Luke Shaw. I just don't know who'd buy him because I think they'd be looking for a big fee. But we'll, end, we'll keep Luke Shaw. 
I'll come back to Sancho. Dean Henderson will sell. Alex Tellez will sell. Palestri will sell because he's just not going to get the game time. He's very, very talented, but he's not going to get game time. Juan Basaka, I'm selling. Uh, Brandon Williams, I'm selling. Donny van der Beek, I'm selling. Elanga, I would sell. McTominay, I would sell. And the rest are kids. So what can we get and what do we need? So let's just say for Bailly, let's say we'll take 10 million. For Maguire, we'll take 30. I think you'll get 30 from a mid-table Premier League team. Uh, Dean Henderson, I think 25 is fair. Tellez, 10. I think Palestri's talent dictates 10. Juan Bissaka will take 15. Williams will take 5. Van der Beek will take 20. Lange will take 10. And McTominay, I think, will take 25. That's 40, 65, 75, 85, 100, 125. 100. That's 160 million. That's 160 million in players that I think United can afford to lose and don't really need to replace a lot of them. Now, some they do need to replace. Uh, what we need then, we don't have a starting goalkeeper. We don't have a backup goalkeeper. We have Tom Heaton as third choice. So that's fine. Uh, I want a starting right back. Delo will be my backup left, backup right back. I'm going to play Martinez at left back because I don't like him as a centre-back. He's too small for me. So Luke Shaw can be his backup, which actually means we're going to add Malasia to the list of sales because I'm not carrying three left-backs. We paid 15. I think we'll get 15 back. That gives us 175. Uh, when I say we, I'm putting myself in the position of being John Murtaugh or one of those type of individuals. Um, I'm going to go with Varane as a starter. And I've got Lindelof as a backup to him. So I want a starter next to him. Do I want another backup centre-back? I probably do. Uh, I do quite like 10 Menji, but no. We're, we're going to sign a starter and a backup. Um, Lindelof might be the backup to the new starter, but we'll see. Um we might be a backup for Varane. That's actually what we'll do. Lindelof can be the backup there. And we'll sign a a backup slash successor to Varane. We've got Casemiro. We need a backup for him. I need a partner for him, and Ericsson is going to be the backup there. Um, Bruno's the 10. Mount is the backup. I think Sancho's going to be my starting right winger. And I'm going to sign, and I'm going to have Anthony as the backup because I prefer Sancho to Anthony. I'm saying Rashford, obviously left wing. 
with Garnacho as the backup. And I'm going to have Ahmad Diallo as cover across those three positions because I think he's really, really talented. Up front then, I need a striker. I've got Martial for cover. So one. I need four starters. Goalkeeper, right back, centre back, midfielder. Oh, five and a striker. <laughs> five starters. And I want two backups, three backups. So I need eight players. Guy is giving me 70 million to spend. So that gives me 245 million. 245 million to find eight players. So we're going to have to do some, uh, some mucking about on the uh, on the periphery here. Um, let's see if there's anybody who's currently out of contract this year who might make sense to us. Da, 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 da. Let's see. There, I don't think there's going to be. Let's have a look. What do I need? A, hmm. I don't think I'm going to find anybody, to be fair, out of contract who's going to be of any use. So the best thing to do is look at expiring contracts, short-term contracts, guys who are out of contract next year, and therefore potentially you could have below market value this year. Um. How am I for, let's see, one, two, three, four. Five, six. Yeah, I probably need one or two English players as well while I'm doing this. So, looking for uh, a starting goalkeeper... And a backup goalkeeper. I just mentioned Anatoly Trubin. Huge, huge talent. I'm not sure he's ready to immediately walk in day one and be my starter. But I'm going to go and I'm going to buy him. He's had a contract in a year. His current transfer market value is €22 euro. Now, he's coming from the Ukraine, which means there won't be a huge premium on him. So we'll say we'll say we'll go twenty five million, but I now want someone who in the short term can be my first choice for maybe maybe twelve months, maybe eighteen months, and I think David Rea makes sense there. And I think you could also probably get him for around twenty five million. So I'll go with both of them. That'll box off my goal. Goalkeeper. We're not a huge fan of Raya, but he's homegrown. He's reliable. I'm almost certain he's homegrown. Let me just double check that. I'm almost certain he was at Blackburn. Quite young. Let's see. Yes, moved to Blackburn at 17. So he counts as homegrown. Um so we're going to go Rea and Trubin, and that will box off our requirements in goal. We've got 
a short-term keeper who fits how Eric Ten Hag wants to play, which is playing out from the back, plays a high line, he's decent on crosses, he's a good shot stopper, and he's still only 27, so he could potentially continue to get better. And Trubin is our, it will be our goalkeeper of the future. Um, let's look at centre-backs next. So, I want someone who is commanding and dominant and quick next to Varane. I'm happy enough to pay a decent enough premium here um, in this position because I do think it's vital that we nail this position. Now... Hmm. How big do I want to go with this is the question. I think the one I want is Edmund Topsapa, who may well may well end up at Spurs. I think he probably is going to go to Spurs, to be honest. So I might just leave him. I might just leave him for this, um, for the purpose of this. I do really like him, though. I think he'd be a good fit. I'm going to go and I'm going to get who I think is one of the best young centre-backs in the world in Antonio Silva from Benfica who I just think would be a really good fit here. Now, I think he'll be expensive. So we're going to say 60 million. After that, we want someone that can be a long-term successor for Rafa Varane. That's going to be important because Varane is 31 now, I think. And he's clearly not the player he was five, six years ago. I'm going to go for Giorgio Scalvini of uh, of Atalanta, who I think I can get for like thirty million, and that'll give me Scalvini and Silva as a long term pair. Now I am eating through the budget quite rapidly here. Um, next, I think we'll address the midfield next to Casemiro. So I'm looking for someone that can be basically can run a game. Someone that's not going to be awed to get the ball in difficult positions and can keep us moving forward. It doesn't necessarily have to be an Ericsson type because given I've got Bruno and two wingers and a striker, I do want to have a solid base because I'm also going to have an attacking right back. So I want to have a 2-3 base that I know I can rely on. I really like the idea of Maxence Kakare in there. But is he a little bit small? He is, but he's really good. Maxence Kakare is really, really good. Let's see. 
We're not going to get any of the big ticket ones. Because they are all gone. But I know who I'm going to... Do you know what? I'm going to take my, my Casemiro successor here. I'm going to take Alan Varela of Boca Juniors for 15 million, which is the, believe, buyout clause in his contract. So I'm going to do that. Next to... Next to him. Who's... Hmm. This is great radio. <laughs> you can probably hear the hamster churning on the wheel inside my head. Um, let's see. I'd love it to be someone like Onana. I really would love to get someone like him, but it wouldn't really leave me with much of a budget left. If I've spent, what have I spent so far? 165, I've got 80. What would Onana cost me? 50? 55 maybe? Would only really leave 25 to get a striker and a right back. Now I could do something sneaky and go with a loan with an obligation to buy. I went 40 on Scalvini in the end because I think that's what it'll cost. 60 on Silva, 15 on Varela. Do I go someone cheaper than Rea? Maybe that's where I get that money back. I'm going to go with Amadou Onana. I think him next to Casemiro freed to just bomb forward would be really good. Now, Ericsson's just a different option then. And I do still have Fred. So I've got five in midfield, which is what I want for a two-man pair. I'm going to go Onana. I'm going to say 50 million because realistically, Everton are a feeder club to United and always have been. So we'll do that. Um, I need a right back. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to re-sign David De Gea for a year. I'm not going to sign David Rea. I'm going to re-sign David De Gea, have him come back for a year, maybe two if need be, sign Trubin, and over the course of the first season, Trubin will just take over. It gives me back $25 million, which puts me at one... 90 spent, which leaves me 55 million to get a right back and a striker. Right. Um, I think you go big on the striker. It's probably the move here. You want someone that you know is going to get you goals. The guy I'd like is Ivan Tony, but he's suspended for the first seven months of the season or whatever it is. Do I just go for him? Do I just go Ivan Tony, knowing I've got goals in Rashford, goals in Bruno, goals in Mount, goals in Garnacho, Martial off the bench. Martial and Rashford can fill in until Tony comes back 
And then Mount could play left wing in rotation with Garnacho, so Mount gets plenty of game time. Sancho could play left wing with Anthony coming in. I think I'd just go Ivan Tony. I think he's the striker. Because, like, ideally I'd like a Harry Kane type, and the closest thing to Harry Kane is is Ivan Tony. He's got two years left in his contract. Transfer market have his value at 35 million euro. He's obviously worth more than that, but he is suspended. And when he comes back off that suspension, he only have 18 months left. He's suspended until January 17, 2024. I'm going to sign Ivan Tony. I'm going to say we'll go 45 million for him. Which I think with the time left in his contract, is fair. I think it's fair, given he'll miss seven months. And now I need a right-back. Now, this is a little bit of a cheat, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've got 10 million left. I know I'll have more money to spend next summer. Is there anyone else I could sell? Short tire. There's not really anyone else I can sell. So I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm going to go to Bayer Leverkusen. And I'm going to offer them Jeremy Frimpong. I take him on loan. I pay $10 as a loan fee with an obligation to buy next summer for $40 So they're going to get $50 for a player that at the moment they're trying to sell or that they would sell for about 40. So they're going to make an extra 10 million off the deal. That's what I'm going to do. So I end up with a starting, because Frimpong and Sancho down that right would be incredible. He's exactly the type of fullback that Sancho needs. He's also the type of fullback that Anthony needs. So I've got De Gea in goal with Trubin as his backup and Tom Heaton as the third choice. I've got Frimpong at right back, who's a homegrown player, because he was in City's Academy. With Delo as his backup, I've got Varane with Scalvini as his successor. I've got Silva with Lindelof as his backup. And then I've got Martinez and Shaw as my left backs and they're going to slot in and it's going to be a back three in possession I've got Casemiro with Alan Varela as his backup I've got Onana really with Fred as his backup and then I've got Ericsson as like a bonus luxury player to use as and when Sancho and Anthony as the right wingers Bruno and Mount as the tens, Rashford and Garnacho as the left wingers, Diallo to use in any of the three roles depending on where he's needed. I've got Martial as the backup to Ivan Tony, but Martial would have to start the season. So that that fits in my two hundred and forty five million budget, and I don't think I was overly generous with the prices. To bring in, like I think Baye for ten million is fair. Uh, 
I think Maguire for thirty million to you know like Everton is fair. Dean Henderson, I think twenty five million is about what he'll go for. Tellez, I think he'll fetch ten. Palestri will fetch ten. Juan Bissaka, I think will get fifteen. I think Williams will go for five. Van de Beek for twenty million, I think is fair. I think there'll be a buyer for McTominay at twenty five, and I think Alanga at ten and Malashi at fifteen is is fair. So. Yeah, I think that's fair. So they're the players I've got going out. Ten going out. De Gea coming back and then seven new faces. Trubin, Frimpong, Scalvini, Silva, Onana, Varela and Ivan Tony. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven. I've got eight homegrown players in that squad, which is 24 players, 25 players. Yes, it's a 25 man squad, and I've got eight homegrown players plus Diallo and and Garnacho don't count either way as yet, but I think they will both count. Well, Garnacho definitely will, and I think Diallo will also count as a homegrown player. What age is Diallo now, actually? Hang on. Ahmad Diallo. Ahmad Diallo is 20. He has now been at United two years. So, yes, he will count as homegrown next year. Assuming United don't do anything stupid and sell him. Um, so he will he will become a homegrown player, which, you know, is, is valuable. Um, I'm almost certain he will. I hope I'm right with that. If he's not, it doesn't matter because I've got enough anyway. Um, I actually really like that team. I do. I think that's a really good team. So I'm happy with that. Right, there we go. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will... Do we have... We'll take a, we'll take a walk down memory lane. We've got time. We've got time. Why not? See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, the 94... 95 Premier League season. We had some new additions, obviously. The 93-94 season saw Sheffield United, Oldham and Swindon all relegated. So into 94-95 and we had well, we had three new clubs coming up to Grace us with their presence. So those clubs just happened to be Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest, who had been in the first season of the Premier League, relegated and come back up. And Leicester City, who had spent seven years outside the top flight. This was their first year in the top flight. And it was it was nice to have. Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest back. Leicester were a bit more of an unknown. Stadium-wise, obviously Crystal Palace were at Selhurst Park. Nottingham Forest were at the city ground. Both of those clubs are still at those stadiums to this day. Leicester were at Filbert Street, which is now the King Power Stadium or was the Walkers Stadium for a number of years. Um, 
Filbert Street was another one of those smaller, compact, old-style stadiums. Good atmosphere, but it was crumbly and needed to be replaced. Uh, this season in the Premier League, we had more changes in terms of managers. So Billy Bonds resigned just on the eve of the season starting and was replaced by Harry Redknapp, who obviously everybody would get to know a lot better over the course of the next, well, 20-odd years. Um, Nearly 30 years. No other changes in the pre-season managerial ranks. So, once again, it is pretty much all Irish, or sorry, English or Scottish managers, with one exception being Joe Kinnear, the Irish manager, and the only foreign manager is still Ozzy Ardiles. Oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I tell a lie. Mike Walker started the season as Everton manager. Mike Walker was Everton manager to begin the season. Transfer-wise, let's see what was done. So, Arsenal. This is weird. Why is this listed like this? Right, we'll go with what it has written down here, which starts with Ipswich for some reason. Christ knows why. Um, Ipswich signed Klaus Thompson from Aarhus in Denmark. And Mauricio Tariccio from Argentinos Juniors, he would go on to be quite a good player. Uh, Thompson, I don't really remember. They did sell Chris Kawamia to Arsenal. When we get to Arsenal, we'll talk about him. Norwich signed John Newsom and Mike Sheeran, both for decent money, 1.5 million and 1.38 million respectively. And Carl Bradshaw from Sheffield United for 500 grand. Uh, moving on, QPR, they signed Steve Hodge from Leeds for 360000 Sheffield Wednesday signed Ian Nolan from Tranmere. He was a decent player. And Peter Atherton from Coventry. In the January, they would sign Guy Whittingham from Aston Villa. Leicester City signed Mark Draper, who was a really good player. Mark Draper was a really good player. They brought him in from Notts County for around 1.9 million. In the January, they signed Mark Robbins from Norwich, Gary Parker from Aston Villa, very good midfielder, and Franz Carr, who's a right winger. Wimbledon brought in Kenny Cunningham, Ethan Okoko, John Goodman, who was quite good, uh, Mick Harford. For £55,000, a transfer between Premier League teams for £55,000. Now, he was 35 and at the end of his career, but still. They also brought in Peter Shilton, who was 45 years of age, on a free in the January. And Ivan Leonardson from Rosenberg also arrived in the January. Um... Well, actually, it was just later because there was no real window at the time. It was just later in the season. It wasn't in the summer. Coventry signed Dion Dublin from Manchester United for three million. David Burrows from Everton for one point six five. Stephen Presley for nine hundred thousand. John Filan for six hundred thousand. Mike Marsh 
who'd been at Liverpool with Burrows uh, for 550,000. Kevin Richardson for 380,000. And Nigel Jemson, I don't remember. Manchester United signed Andy Cole for 6.25 million and Keith Gillespie is how I remember it. I could be wrong. I think that was the price. Uh, They signed David May from Blackburn and a youngster called Graham Tomlinson from Bradford. Crystal Palace signed Darren Pitcher from Charlton. They also signed Ian Dowie and Ray Houghton, two experienced older players. Newcastle signed Darren Peacock from QPR for five million. Paul Kitson from Derby for three point three eight. These figures are are wrong. It was two point five and four for Peacock. These are in euro, so you know it is what it is. Uh, Mark Hottiger and Steve Guppy, who would actually go on to have a decent career, uh, but he was twenty five when he joined. Um, when he joined Newcastle, having been at Wickham under Martin O'Neill. Nottingham Forest signed Kevin Campbell. They also signed Brian Roy. Now, what was exciting about this season was it was off the back of the 94 World Cup and we started to see more of an influx of foreign players, particularly guys that had done well at the tournament. So Brian Roy arrived at Forest. Arsenal signed Stefan Schwartz, Swedish midfielder from Benfica. They signed Chris Kawamia from Ipswich. And they signed a very young John Hartson from Luton Town. Chelsea signed Paul Furlong from Watford. David Rowcastle from Manchester City. Scott Minto from Charlton. And that was it for them. Uh, Aston Villa. John Fashionu. Tommy Johnson. Don't remember him. Alan Wright was a good left back. Ian Taylor. Solid midfielder. Gary Charles was a good fullback. He arrived in from Derby. Leeds signed Carlton Palmer for about two and a half million. They brought in Tony Yeboah on loan, signed Nigel Worthington and Lucas Radaby, who would go on to become a Leeds legend for 300 grand. They also signed Phil Masinga, who was another South African. They brought the two of them in. Masinga, it was felt, was brought in just to keep Radaby company because they wanted him to have someone that he could connect with easily. So that explained that one. Uh, West Ham signed Don Hutchinson from Liverpool. Mark Reaper from Bromby. Don't remember him. Julian Dix, they bought back from Liverpool. Joey Beauchamp, super talented. One of the most talented players England had produced in a few years, just... Didn't work out. John Monker, who I always liked as a controlling midfielder. Adrian Whitbread from Swindon as well. And Les Seedy on a free. They sold Beauchamp not long afterwards. Didn't really work out there for him at all. Um, Manchester City spent their money on Nicky Summerby from Swindon. So the Swindon team that had been promoted and got relegated kind of got plucked apart by a few clubs. Uh, Nicky Summerby was the, is, is the son of legendary City midfielder Mike Summerby <clears throat> and a very similar player, but unfortunately the game had moved on and a Mike Summerby probably wouldn't have made quite the impact 
in this in the nineties as he did in the sixties and seventies. Uh, Southampton signed Neil Shipperley, Gordon Watson, Christopher Warren, who I don't remember, Peter Whiston, I don't remember, and Bruce Grobler on a free. Um, Blackburn signed Chris Sutton for five million pounds. Jeff Kenna from Southampton, a young Shea Given from Celtic, and an experienced Tony Gale from West Ham. Tottenham embraced the foreign influx more than anybody. Ilya Dimitrescu from Steaua Bucharest, Georgi Popescu from PSV Eindhoven, and Jurgen Klinsmann from Monaco. And when Klinsmann arrived, it was a massive deal because this was a proven world-class striker. This was the most most recognisable German player at the time and there was that huge England-German rivalry and he had this reputation as a diver and there was a whole lot of talk about, you know, is he going to dive, yada, yada. He turned up at a press conference wearing a pair of swimming goggles. And his celebration was him doing a big dive. He properly leant into it and took the piss out of it. And he was really good for Spurs. Um, Jika Popescu, I wish, had stayed in England for a long time because he was great as both centre-back, defensive midfielder, or ideally a sweeper in a back three. He was brilliant. Dumitrescu had some moments of utter brilliance but was too inconsistent. Spurs that year were ludicrously loaded going forward. So they lined up with Anderton and Barnby playing as wingers, Sheringham and Klinsman through the middle as strikers. They had Dimitrescu and somebody else in midfield. Someone else that was attack-minded. Let me have a quick look. Spurs, 94, 95. And they asked Popescu basically to sit behind all of that and try try and make it work. Um, They also brought in, that was the next season, they brought in Chris Armstrong. Who was that other midfielder? There was somebody else played in midfield from this year. Was it Jason Dizel? I don't think it was. Could have been Jason Dizel. But they were ridiculously attack-minded. And couldn't defend to save their lives. Uh, moving on then. Liverpool. Off the back of the World Cup. Spent big money on Phil Babb. Which was not a good move. Signed John Scales from Wimbledon. Which was a good move. Mark Kennedy arrived from Millwall. Michael Stensgaard arrived from Hoivador in Denmark. And uh, the most memorable thing about him is he once dropped an ironing board on his foot. Um, Everton signed Duncan Ferguson. They signed Daniel Amakachi, who had done well with Nigeria. They signed Earl Barrett, who was a really good right back. And Gary Rowett, who most people know as a manager now. They also brought in Vinnie Samways from from Tottenham, and he didn't quite work out for Everton. So there we go. There are our transfers. You can start to see more of an influx of foreign players. 
Uh, but as you can see, it's a lot of hit and miss transfers. Back then, we didn't have the advancements we have now. The, the idea of scouting a player was someone went to watch him like two or three times and made a decision based on that. And that was about it. Um, throughout the season, there was a lot of managerial change. A lot. So Ozzy Ardiles was the first one sacked. He got sacked November 1st. And Steve Perryman was appointed as caretaker for two weeks. And he was replaced by Jerry Francis, who'd been at QPR. So QPR replaced him with Ray Wilkins. Everton sacked Mike Walker on the 8th of November. He was replaced by Joe Royal, who is the last manager to win anything for Everton. Ron Atkinson was sacked by Aston Villa, replaced as caretaker by Jim Barron for a couple of weeks before Brian Little took over. Brian Little actually did well there. Uh, Leicester City, they sacked Kevin McDonald. Sorry, they sacked Brian Little. No, sorry. Brian Little left. Kevin McDonald took over. And McDonald was then replaced a few weeks later by Mark McGee. Uh, Ipswich Town. John Lyle resigned, Paul Goddard took over, and then George Burley was given the job. Coventry sacked Phil Neal in February and appointed Ron Atkinson. The biggest shock was the George Graham sacking, which came off the back of a scandal, and Stuart Houston was given the job as caretaker, and then Norwich's manager John Dehan resigned late in the year, in, in kind of early April, and Gary Megson was given the job until the end of the season. Uh, Kit-wise, we've got our first entry for Nike. It is Arsenal moving from Adidas to Nike. Aston Villa and Blackburn with Asics, as were Leeds and Newcastle. Umbro still represented. They have Chelsea, Everton, Ipswich, both Manchester clubs, Nottingham Forest and Tottenham. Pony decide to be big players. They get Coventry. They get Southampton and they get West Ham that year. Uh, Nutmeg, who I don't remember at all, made Crystal Palace's kits. Fox Leisure made Leicester's kits. I assume they were a local company. Adidas only had one team. That was Liverpool. Ribeiro had Norwich and Wimbledon. Clubhouse, I have no idea, were QPR manufacturers. QPR's kit manufacturers. Again, Clubhouse, Fox Leisure... Nutmeg. Answers on a postcard, if you know those. Uh, in terms of shirt sponsorship, JVC with Arsenal. Muller still with Villa. McEwen's Larger with Blackburn. Coors with Chelsea. Peugeot with Coventry. TDK, Japanese electronic manufacturer with Crystal Palace. NEC still with Everton. Fison's still with Ipswich. Tissel Hotels still with Leeds. Uh, Walkers, the crisp manufacturer, sponsoring Leicester. Obviously, they're a local Leicester company. 
Uh, Carlsberg with Liverpool, Brother with, with City, Sharp with United, Scottish and Newcastle Breweries took over as Newcastle's front of shirt sponsor. Norwich and Peterborough Credit Union still sponsoring Norwich, or Building Society rather. Uh, Labatt's had Forest, Compaq had QPR, Sanderson had Sheffield Wednesday, Dimplex, Southampton, Holston, Tottenham, Dagenham Motors with West Ham, and Ellenox, who were a, or are, who are, a British computer hardware and related IT services company that develops ebook readers, Android e-touch tablets, and other consumer electronics. Uh, as you can see, a big alcohol influence with McEwen's, with Coors, with Carlsberg, with Labatt's, with Holston, and with Scottish and Newcastle uh, breweries. Now, can't have a drink an alcohol manufacturer on your front of shirt. Back then, what's that? One, two, three, four, five, six. Like nearly a third of the league. Uh, at this point, we still have 22 teams. This is the season they decided to cut that down. Four teams were relegated. But let's start at the top of the, of the table. Blackburn Rovers won the Premier League title. Going into the final day, United needed to win and hope that Blackburn dropped points. United were away to West Ham. Blackburn were away to Liverpool. Liverpool up against Kenny Dalglish. The feeling was the fix could be in here. But Liverpool would beat Blackburn on the day. And United, because Andy Cole missed about 14 sitters, drew away to West Ham and lost the title by a point. Um, that was an incredible final day. Sky had both games side by side on the screen and you could choose to flick between them as well. But you could watch the split screen and it was really, really good. Nottingham Forest, having just been promoted, finished third. Liverpool fourth, Leeds fifth. They all went into the UEFA Cup, uh, along with United. Newcastle sixth, Tottenham seventh, QPR eighth, Wimbledon ninth, Southampton tenth, Chelsea eleventh, Arsenal twelfth, Sheffield Wednesday thirteenth, West Ham fourteenth, Everton fifteenth, Coventry sixteenth, Manchester City seventeenth, Aston Villa eighteenth. And going down, Crystal Palace returning to the championship, Norwich dropping out. Not all that long after they'd gone into Europe and had a great adventure for themselves. It was a shame to see Leicester returning to the championship, or, well, the first division at the time, and Ipswich. So both of the East Anglian teams, um, the Suffolk teams, I suppose, well, Norwich is Norfolk, isn't it? Norwich is Norfolk and Ipswich is Suffolk and it's East Anglia. I think I think I'm right with that. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, correct me on my geography, but I think I'm right with that. Both of them going down. Um what else? Top goal scorer, Alan Shearer, thirty-four goals. Robbie Fowler, twenty-five, Les Ferdinand, twenty-four, Stan Collymore, twenty-two. Andy Cole, 21, between Newcastle and Manchester United. Klinsman, 21. Letizia, 19. 
Sheringham and Wright with 18, Rossler, Saunders and Sutton all with 15. Uh, we had hat-tricks by Sutton, Fowler, Andre Kinchelskis, Shearer, Sheringham, Cotty, two more from Shearer, Tommy Johnson, Andy Cole, who scored five in that game. That was United 9, Ipswich 0. Uh, Peter Undlove, old school. Peter Undlove was a tremendous player for Coventry back in the day. Was linked to Liverpool every window, and yet we never bought him. Uh, Tony Yeboah and Ian Wright. In terms of our top assisters, we had Matt Letizia with 15. So 19 and 15 for Letizia. Anderton got 14. Shearer got 13 to go with his 34 goals, which is pretty incredible. Rule Fox, Ryan Giggs, Andy Hinchcliffe and Brian Roy all had 11. Kevin Gallon had 10. Chris Sutton, 10 to go with his 15 goals. And Jurgen Klinsmann, 10 to go with his 21 goals. Uh, in terms of manager of the month, Kevin Keegan in August, Frank Clark of Nottingham Forest in September, in September, Ferguson in October, Doug Leash in November, Jerry Francis because he took over Spurs and turned things around in the December, Brian Little in January because again he took over Villa and turned things around, Keegan in February, Ron Atkinson in March, same thing again, took over, turned things around and Howard Wilkinson in April. Uh, Klinsman won Player of the Month in August, Rob Lee of Newcastle in September, Paul Ince in October. In November, it was split between Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton, who were together at Blackburn. Letizia in December, Chris Waddle in January, Duncan Ferguson in February, Yeboah in March, and David Seaman in the April. Manager of the Year, Kenny Dalglish. PFA, Players Player of the Year, Alan Shearer. Young Player of the Year, Robbie Fowler. And the Football Writers Player of the Year, Jürgen Klinsmann. Your Team of the Year was Tim Flowers, absolutely. Rob Jones, excellent for Liverpool. Gary Pallister, no question. Colin Hendry, brilliant for, for Blackburn that year. Graham Lasseau, brilliant for Blackburn that year. Tim Sherwood, captain of Blackburn, Matt Letizia, Paul Ince, Klinsman, Shearer and Sutton. Pretty strong team of the year. Pretty strong team of the year. In the FA Cup that season, Manchester United went into it as the defending champions and were expected to win the final when they went toe-to-toe with Everton. But Paul Rideout scored the winner on 30 minutes and United couldn't find a goal. And United should have won a back-to-back double and instead ended up without a trophy uh, from the main two. So, disappointing season for Manchester United. In the League Cup, Aston Villa had gone in as defending champions, but Liverpool would claim silverware this season. Steve McManaman with two goals to beat Bolton Wanderers 2-1. In the final, that is the McManaman final. He was absolutely brilliant in that game. Liverpool's team on the day, David James, Rob Jones, Stigging Gabjornaby at left wing back, Scales, Ruddock and Bab as a back three, Barnes and Redknapp in midfield, McManaman as a 10, Fowler and Owen, sorry, Fowler and Owen, Fowler and Rush up front. On the bench, Alec Chamberlain, Mark Walters and Michael Thomas. Liverpool did not make a substitution in the game. 
Um, Bolton's team, Keith Brannigan in goal, Scott Green, Mark Seagraves, Alan Stubbs and Jimmy Phillips. Jimmy Phillips is the father of Nat Phillips, or one of the fathers of Nat Phillips, along with Dan Kennett. Um, no, he's, he's, he's Nat Phillips' dad. That was the back four. Uh, David Lee, Richard Sneakers, Jason McAteer, and Alan Thompson in midfield. Alan Thompson, McAteer, and Stubbs would all go on to have really good Premier League careers. Uh, Mixu Patalainen and John McGinley up front. Aidan Davidson, Goodney Bergson, and Mark Patterson on the bench. Ber- Bergson came on on 65, excuse me, for, um, for Scott Green. Bruce Rioch was Bolton manager and he would actually leave after this to take over at Arsenal. Um, Bolton getting to this final was a massive surprise. They weren't expected to reach the final at all for obvious reasons. They weren't a particularly well-known team. They weren't somebody that people were keeping much of an eye on. You have to remember, at this time, Bolton had been very much a lower league team for the majority of their history. And in the 30-odd years running, 20-odd years running up to this, actually, they got dropped out of the top division in 1964, having been in it for a long, long time. Um, They dropped into Division 2 in 64, into Division 3 in 71, back into Division 2 in 73, got back into Division 1 in 78, but dropped out again in 80, three years in Division 2, got relegated again into Division 3, spent four years there, got relegated into Division 4, and had started to slowly, slowly, slowly work their way up. So, 87, 88, they're in Division 4, 88, 89 through to 91, 92, they're in Division 3. They get immediate promotion from Division 2 into Division 1. And then they spend two years in Division 1. This was their second year in Division 1, 94, 95. So they got to the equivalent of a championship club getting to the League Cup final, which we see every so often. But that's basically why they weren't expected to get there. Uh, They would come up into the Premier League for for the next season, which we'll cover tomorrow. But yeah, Bolton were a lot of fun. A lot of people were supporting them because obviously, you know, people want to see a little club beat a big club. Um, I suppose we'll do the FA Cup final as well in terms of lineups. <clears throat> For Everton, Neville Southall, Matt Jackson, good player. He's currently the president of Grasshopper Zurich, which I didn't know. Dave Watson, legendary Everton captain. David Unsworth, very, very good player, currently the manager of Oldham. Gary Ablett, who unfortunately passed away. Some years back, very good footballer, played for Liverpool, played for Everton. Very, very good footballer. Anders Limpar, one of my favourite players through the 90s for Arsenal and then for Everton. Uh, Joe Parkinson was fairly solid. Barry Horn was a decent player in the centre midfield. Andy Hinchcliffe would become better known as a left-back, but at this point was a left-winger. Great cross of the ball. And then Graham Stewart off Paul Rideout. Uh, Jason Curtin... Duncan Ferguson and Daniel Amakachi 
were the other subs. How unusual is it for a team to be 1-0 up in a cup final and make two attacking substitutions? That's what Everton did. Ferguson and Amakachi coming on for Limpar and Rideout. United's team, Schmeichel, Neville, Bruce, Pallister, Irwin. Bruce went off at half-time to be replaced by Ryan Giggs. And if memory serves, Roy Keane dropped to centre-back. Or did Neville shift across? I think Roy Keane dropped to centre-back. Uh, midfield, Keane, Butt, Ince and Sharp. I'm almost certain Roy Keane played the second half of that game at centre-back. Sharp was taken off and replaced by Paul Scholes on 72. Brian McClare and Mark Hughes started up front. Gary Walsh was the other um, the other sub on the bench for United. Um, so there you have Neville, you have Butt, you have Giggs and you have Scholes. Giggs had already established himself. He'd been part of the two title-winning teams, but the other three, as parts of that class of 92, making their way in, playing huge roles. The other three, yeah, the other three. Neville, Button, and Skulls playing huge roles in an FA Cup final. Um, I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else to cover in that season with regards to English football. Uh, Like I said, four teams went down. And the league was cut from 22 teams to 20 teams. So when we came back for business in the summer or in the August of 1995, we didn't have 22 teams. We only had two newly promoted teams, both of whom were great fun, and four were gone. So there we go. Yeah, pretty good season overall. Great, great drama in that year. The way the the it was the first real title race we'd had in the Premier League era because United there'd been title races and then United had just pulled clear late in the season. <clears throat> this year it went to the final day, and it was incredible drama. And these were two really powerful teams, and that Blackburn team is often forgotten about what a good team it was. Like there was a lot of money put into that Blackburn team. Mike Walker, Jack Walker. Jack Walker was a local businessman who'd made a fortune and decided he wanted to pump his money into his local football club. And he did just that. He took over a team in the championship, uh, appointed Kenny Dog Leash, and had no fear at all of spending money. And this is a really good squad. You had Tim Flowers, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Tony Gale, experienced defender. Jeff Kenna, very good fullback. Tim Sher- Tim Sherwood, very good midfielder. Colin Hendry, excellent centre-back. Graham Lasseau might have been the best left-back in the league after Dennis Irwin. And they spent decent money to get him from Southampton. Stuart Ripley was a very good winger. Kevin Gallagher was like their third striker. You had Shearer up front. Mike Newell was their fourth striker. Jason Wilcox was a really good left-winger. Uh, Nicky Marker, I don't remember much of. Bobby Mins was a solid backup keeper. Lee Mackle was a young defender, if memory serves. Yeah, he was 21. Richard Vichka was a very, very good midfielder who could play in a bunch of different positions. Chris Sutton was excellent. They spent big money to get him. Robbie Slater was an all-action midfielder. Most people know him now as a commentator. Uh, Henningberg, really reliable defender. Paul Harford, Mark Atkins, just solid players. David Batty was tremendous. 
Paul Warhurst was maybe the most versatile player we've seen in English football. He could start and be good up front in centre midfield or at centre back. And he'd do a job at full back for you as well. He could play pretty much anywhere and be good at it. Really, really good player. Ian Pierce was a promising defender at the time, big and powerful, had come from Chelsea. And Blackburn did really well to get him in. Uh, Frank Talley, I don't remember, and Shea Given was a young keeper. If we look at their most used teams, Kenna missed a lot of the season with injury. Tim Flowers played pretty much every game. Colin Hendry played pretty much every game. Henningberg played every game. Those two started the majority at centre-back with Lasso at left-back. Right-back was a bit of a rotating cast. Warhurst played a bunch there. Gale played some games there. Kenna played some games there. Um, in midfield, you had Sherwood and Batty. No, Batty missed most of the season, didn't he? Batty only played like five games or something because he got injured. So War- Warhurst was playing games there as well, as was Robbie Slater. Ian Pierce, actually, do you know what? Berg played a bunch of right back with Pierce at centre back as well. Shearer and Sutton were up front. Ripley and Wilcox on the wings. Sherwood plus a rotating cast. Hendry plus either Berg or Pierce. Right back was a rotating cast. Left back was Lasseau. And the goalkeeper was Tim Flowers. That's a really strong squad. Richard Vichke and Robbie, Robbie Slater and Henning Berg are the only players in that squad not from... Uh, Britain or Ireland, which again is just such a difference to what we see now. Um, right, let's do the news and the gossip. We have more news about John Berylson, um, the chairman and owner of Millwall, who died yesterday. Uh, he died from injuries sustained after his car overturned and hit a tree in a single car vehicle, a single car, sorry, single vehicle accident um, at Cape Cod in the US. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. Um, What else do we have? Um, The president of the Brazilian FA has said that Carlo Ancelotti will become Brazilian manager in 2024. I haven't heard Carlo say anything like that, so I don't know if that's 100% true, but that's what's being said. Angel Di Maria has signed for Benfica. Carlo Sionchu has joined Atletico Madrid, so expect him to be great again next season under... Diego Simeone. Uh, England beat Israel in their semi-final and Spain beat Ukraine in their semi-final. So that will be the final of the under-21 Euros, England versus Spain. PSG have confirmed the signing of Milan Skriniar from Inter Milan on a free. Arda Guler looks set to join Real Madrid. It was reported that Barca thought they had him in the bag, but they uh, they dropped the ball by the sounds of things. Which, you know, is, is quite a Barca thing to do in this day and age. Uh, Luton Town captain Tom Lockyer has signed a new contract and is back in training after heart surgery. He is 28 and will be leading that team into the Premier League next season. Hopefully he has overcome whatever it was that caused him, caused him to collapse in the 
playoff final and he will be fine. Uh, on to the gossip now. Tottenham have made Harry Kane an offer to remain at the club that would hugely improve, hugely improve his 200 grand a week salary. Now, it's from The Guardian. It's from David Heitner and Jacob Steinberg, so you can take it as, as fact that they've done that. Thomas Tuchel has met with Kane to discuss a potential move to Bayern Munich, which has angered Daniel Levy. Um, Levy has to know that these things happen, so I wouldn't say he's too angry. AC Milan have made an improved bid of $19 million for Christian Pulisic. It's still below what Chelsea want, though, so it's probably not going to happen. Uh, not yet, anyway. Inter Milan have rejected a £39 million bid for Andre Onana from Manchester United. They apparently want £55 million. Chelsea are preparing a 55, sorry, an 85 million offer for Moises Caicedo. Mike McGrath reporting today that Brighton want over 100 million, and rightly so. Arsenal have agreed a 38.5 million pound deal for Julian Timber. That's not bad value, to be fair. But at the same time, is he a starter or is he a very expensive squad player? The Gunners are ready to take their spending over 200 million after green deals for Timber and Rice on top of Havertz. And I don't think they've improved the team. Newcastle are ready to lead the race for Harvey Barnes. Aston Villa, Tottenham and West Ham all interested. Newcastle would be a good fit for him. It would be a very good fit for him. Chelsea have opened talks with the representatives over of Paulo Dybala. That would make no sense for them at all. Chelsea are also interested in Romeo Lavia. Manchester United's new signing, Mason Mount, rejected a £200,000 a week offer by Chelsea to try and keep him at Stamford Bridge. Yes, and then he took a £250,000 a week offer from Chelsea. Uh, So, you know. Aston Villa and Everton are among the Premier League teams keen on Wilfred Nonto. Leeds would be mad to let him go. Liverpool remain interested in Levi Colwell, who Chelsea want to keep. The Reds' centre-back targets also include Sporting Lisbon's Goncalo Inacio and Wolfsburg's Netherlands defender, Mickey van der Veen. Uh, this was written by Peter Rourke. This is Elher spoofing. Those are players Liverpool were looking at maybe two months ago. They've moved on from van der Veen. Inacio's probably still on the list, but we don't know. Uh, Arsenal have confirmed Ethan Nuaneri. Nuaneri, I think that's right, is staying at the club despite interest and attempts from Chelsea. Manchester City and Manchester United. Um, he signed a new scholarship deal. But Arsenal will face a fight to keep him in March when he turns 17 and is able to fi- sign his first professional contract. Then we'll see what happens. DC United manager Wayne Rooney wants to keep Lewis O'Brien, who's on loan from Nottingham Forest. But Sheffield, Sheffield United are also interested in signing him. I think you'll have to pay to keep him. You'll have to buy him. Versatile Netherlands international Daily Blind is set to sign for Spanish club Girona after leaving Bayern Munich. Inter Miami are focused on trying to make Eden Hazard their latest big name signing. Jesus, what? Why would you do that? Right, I'm done. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.